0: At the tea, I... Hello and welcome to episode 7 of The Cafeteria. It's great to be back with you and I hope you've been keeping well. My guest on The Cafeteria today has been described as annoyingly talented. He's a very proud Irishman who moved to Australia in the early noughties and has since carved an incredible career for himself here in Australia. He's been on your screen, you've seen him on stage but you would probably remember him best for originating the role as Frankie Valley in Jersey Boys' The Musical. Would you please welcome Green Room and Helpman Award nominee, the fantastic Mr. Bobby Fox. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the cafeteria, Bobby. It welcome my to my home. It is
1: my absolute pleasure to be here. It's my absolute pleasure.
0: so good to see you. Yeah. And back in Sydney after a very long time.
1: Yeah, Cameron... Uh... I'm always kind of in Sydney. Mm. Do you know what? People think I live in Sydney. I, I mean, it, it's probably the thing I get asked most. You live in Sydney, right? And it's like, home is Ireland and, and Melbourne. You know what I mean?
0: When did you move to Australia?
1: Uh, 2002. So I first came here in 2001 with a show that toured, uh, like an Irish dancing thing. And then I, in 2002, I came over like on a working holiday visa, like that classic one year working holiday. And then I did, uh, that's when I sort of studied performing arts then. And then um, I moved in 2003 and got residency then.
0: Thanks to the help of your dancing teachers at ED5 who paved the way for your citizenship.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm a permanent resident is what I am. But yes, huge shout out to Elena and Mario at ED5. um, And it's now ED5 International in North Strathfield. North Strathfield's finest.
0: (laughs) Cut to the last time I saw you on stage brings us to last week.
1: We are arcing here. We, we
0: are. are. Oh, it's a major arc. And we're going yeah. to go back and fill everything in. Sure. It was, do you hear the people sing mm. at the Sydney Opera House last yeah. week, a celebration of Bublils and Schomberg songs? You were performing alongside musical theatre royalty from all around the world including Rachel Tucker, Suha Kim, mm. Susie Mathers, Marisa Moore, Michael Ball, John Owen Jones, David Harris. However. However. However, the headline in the Sydney Morning Herald was Bobby Fox steals a lavish concert. Do you know what I mean? How does one humble oneself after a headline in the newspaper like that appears?
1: It cartwheels down the hall <laughs> of the opera house. Um, that's just right sort of, for the
0: five-minute calls, saying, "Um, read all about it."
1: No, I got. I um, the producer. Showed it to me like halfway through the second act of the final show. He just showed it to me, and I was like, "Oh,
0: oh my, my God.
1: lord! Wow!" I couldn't believe it. I mean, look. Obviously, we know that you know reviews and other people's opinions and whatever. Like, it, you take everything with a pinch of salt, mm-hmm. and they're fickle. And it's and and at the same time, put myself in the head of, of a reviewer. That's their job. In that they see everything, right? And they have a deadline. And if you're doing it for years, you're just going to say what you see or say what you feel. You're just going to go like this, didn't like that. This could have been there. And take then, the
0: Quincy Jones approach. Yeah, just <laughs> just say get it all out. Just there. get it all out. Yeah. Well,
1: you know whatever. And and I've had some uh, sort of not, some salty reviews before, and then some not, and some great ones. And um, and this one was just so surprising. Because I had never performed their work before. So all the music of Les Mis, Les Miserables, uh, Miss Saigon, The Pirate Queen, and uh, Martin Guerre, And that stuff, I mean, I know of it, obviously. Mm. I've never auditioned for the show. Mm. Always would go, not for me. And I was singing the material. Uh, the, the song I sang from Miss Saigon was is sang usually by the engineer, who's always Vietnamese or uh, of Asian descent, or whatever their casting um, protocol is.
0: And this was in the American Dream.
1: In the American Dream, I was singing the American Dream, and and I was so scared. I would. I was so like, oh my god, I am going to be the shit one. <laughs> you know, you go into you go into the gig, you go into a gig, and you just go. Just don't be the shit one. Do you know? I mean, no one wants to be, you know, middle of the road, but.
0: But you certainly don't want to be the shit
1: one. You don't want to be the shit Mm -mm. one. The weakest link. And and yeah, everything was good. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you just don't want, you don't. And that's like (laughs) the main fear. So going into it, I was just like very, very uh, grateful to Enda Markey for asking me to be part of it. Um, I was going
0: to ask because you haven't performed this material, you have no connections to the songs. Why were you in it?
1: Well, Enda Markey, uh, I've worked with a few times. Mm-hmm. He produced Blood Brothers that I was part of, and he also produced my Irish show, the, the Irish the, Boy, yeah, the Irish Boy uh, that we did that you saw in Lovely Wyong. In Wyong, uh, Wyong the in best.
0: Wyong. In
1: Wyong, I'm big in <laughs> Wyong. Um, yeah, no, no, and and so he presented me. I had just worked with Michael Feinstein at the Opera House as well. i just going to drop the Opera House as Do many it. times. I want
0: everyone at home to play a drinking game. Every time Bobby Fox drops a celebrity name, take a shot, please. Or
1: just just say the Opera House.
0: <laughs> Either or. I'm not just even the th- Opera House. I'm
1: not even thinking about the people I was performing with. I'm thinking about well, when I was with Michael Feinstein at the Opera House. Um, no, it was when I was uh, at, with Feinstein at the Opera House. It was after that performance. He was like, oh, you could be part of... Uh, do you hear the people sing? Because we need someone to do that part and to do more character stuff. stuff. Because obviously he'd seen me do a bunch of different things, but that, he was like, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to send that to the guys, to Bubliel and Schomburg, because it's their show. And yeah. Baird, they get final say, say on everything. And someone had taken a video from up on the side of the Feinstein gig and put it on YouTube. Wasn't me. Um, of me doing a little tap number or whatever. And then I like, you know, it was like 34 views on it or something. But, and sent that to... They were, I, all, they to, were all
0: Bubliel and I, I know, yeah, it was 30, views. It was,
1: it was 36 <laughs> at the end. Um, and no, but like sent it to them and, and they saw it. They were like, yeah, cool. Yeah.
0: Well, I picked it at the top of the second act when I heard those Celtic drums oh, come in. And did. I was like, he's going to come out in, yeah. his, in his kilt and his taps and he's going to give us an absolute show. And you mm. did. But uh, that, that comedic material uh, in those those two solo numbers, really, that you performed, which was American Dream and Master of the House. Master of the House, yeah. You were extraordinary in them. And I saw such a – something in you that I don't think I've seen in a lot of different roles before. Sure. Really that just you left it all out there. Mm. Do you think that it came from – do you think that energy came from not wanting to be the shit one and, and being um, so fresh and new to the material?
1: Yes, I, I do think that. I don't really have an idea of it beforehand. I think that there's a bit of that. Andy Pohl, um, who was the director, definitely pushed me in the right direction. But going into it, I, I just, yeah, again, I just had that trepidation the whole time. And all of most of the guys at the show – had performed the show before Mm. or been in Les Mis. In the actual
0: productions, yeah.
1: Yeah, John Owen Jones, Mr. Les Mis, you know what I mean? He's (laughs) 2460 John O. Jones, you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like him and Michael Ball, who obviously was the original and in the original London cast and uh, all of that. So just with that sort of fear, but then sort of going, oh, well, sometimes learning how to fly is just jumping out of the tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Rachel Tucker said to me, cause we had, as she joined me in master of the house. She was like,
0: oh my God, she was just Boy like, did I fall in love with
1: her? Oh my wow. <sighs> wow. She's amazing. But she just gave, she just sort of told me on the side, she was like, you're going to walk away with this. This is, people are going to be cheering for you at the end of this. And I was like, really? Do you think so? And she goes, oh yeah, yeah. I said, I feel so stiff and, Like just really kind of like it's a bit eggy or something. She goes, No, 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 you when you do that with an audience, they're gonna go nuts. And they did. Yeah. And and it was amazing. And it was exactly what I needed to hear in that couple of days before we got to the stage or whatever. And yeah.
0: Tucker would know.
1: Tucker would know. Tucker would know And she did Yeah, Mother Tucker
0: Mother, What a Mother Tucker she is Mother Tucker, is. yeah God, that voice, my goodness yeah, All of them else, So lovely to hear David Harris again on mm. stage mm. I, I saw him in the original production of, of um, Saigon. Miss Saigon when I was 16 Which led me to doing one of my, one of the songs from the show in, As my HSC, one of my yeah. final vocal wow. performances Yeah. And uh, the first time I saw you on stage uh-huh. And discovered who you were Was in Jersey Boys Ah, ah I've heard of it Ah, oh, you've heard yeah. of it Where you originated the Australian role of Frankie Valley in 2009. Mm. You performed that show almost 1,000 times. Yeah,
1: look, the numbers, it gets exaggerated a bit, but I think it was (laughs) around the 800 mark. Right. Around that. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, What is it like to originate a role?
1: It was my first role, Mm. first ever part. Um, So I kind of went into, into it with no expectations other than I wanted to be awesome. And I wanted to do all of Melbourne and all of Sydney. Okay. And I had sort of heard on the grapevine that Frankie can kind of level out, like level out people that go into it because it's incredibly vocally taxing. Right. Um, But it was something that just kind of sat uh, naturally for me, the falsetto side of things, because it's not that big of a belt. It only belt's up to about a G sharp. Um, But... Uh, but the falsetto, then mixing and uh, and a projection of that forward. I I could sing. The way I say it is, I could sing when I went into Jersey Boys, but I but when I came out of it, I knew how. So it was like I went to Gary. I went actually had my first kind of singing coach going into it. I had some singing lessons before, but an actual technique uh, from Gary May in Melbourne before. And then about two or three months into it, I started to have some vocal issues, just like. Around sort of when Wednesday so I do my first sh- Tuesday and Wednesday were just so hard mm. they were so hard the show I couldn't do them eight show weeks uh, I did six shows right but Tuesday Wednesday I'd have my day off and then I'd come in and it would just be so difficult to get the notes out right um, And then I started I was kind of pushing a bit you know to get them and then obviously we all know or anyone that sings knows that pushing to get it is not is not the not way the to way. do it. Because it only works maybe if you're singing once a week or singing on the weekend or whatever, um, or in a pub somewhere or getting up and you're drunk or whatever. That only works then, but not when you've got to deliver it at, uh, at a, like a global level. And it's the quickest way to standard, fatigue, isn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So Gary uh, ended up coming in and watching me do the show. And then afterwards he just went, I know exactly what you're doing. Just because come to me tomorrow. I know exactly what you're doing. I was like, because I was kind of worried I didn't have a great show and he was in, which would have been perfect for him to see. Um, and then he said, Yeah, I know what you're doing. And my warm up at the time was 20 minutes before the hour call, before let's say the group warm up. Uh, and then he went, We're going to slow it right down. We're going to slow it right down. It's 45 minutes. So then it was just a slow, light sirens, yeah, just moving up moving down yeah just soft I'll, I'll, uh, yeah observing the it, observing the warmth in a way or so it, being up.
0: really mindful
1: yeah i sort up. of called it by the time i finished the show i called it it wasn't really a warm-up i called it inhale practice okay because there was a way of when you inhaled properly having the right sort of visualization in your mind and then feeling a couple of little like maybe three different points in your body Uh, as you inhaled, as you dropped the air in, then the sound placed perfectly.
0: Uh, Interesting.
1: When you went to squeeze the bellows to actually force the air out through the larynx, it placed perfectly. So it just meant um, that, yeah, and I would do it in the dark as well. So I would just turn off the lights, turn off everything and just go through the warm up. but just so that I could really feel it, just feel my body doing what it was supposed to do. And once I got that down, that took a little while to get. But as soon as I got that warm up, I was like locked in. I still use it; like it's the only thing I do. It's my only technique, really. Wow! Is that is that one? It's a very
0: Robbie Williams approach. Doing it in the dark, he strips naked and he turns the lights off to record his material. So there you go. Sure,
1: let's get naked. (laughs)
0: Oh, Bobby! I never thought you'd ask.
1: Like, yeah, I mean that's another level to it. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, I did definitely did it in the shower sometimes, like in my change room. Like, if I was having a really tight mm-hmm. night, and I was like, "Oh my god, how am I going to get through this?" Like, the next level would be to just like just get in the shower. And just be in the steam and have hot water on my back and open up the muscles and stretch and all that kind of stuff. And it it worked. And the other thing was that, that the dialogue needed the same vocal technique and the same inhale on the dialogue as what the singing did. Because it was so dialogue heavy, Jersey boys, that was the most fatiguing thing about it just running out and doing a scene and going and being stressed and talking to Tommy and, and Bob and, and then going, oh, I'm on a Sunday kind of love, like, and then jumping into it and not breathing properly. So breathing right through it. And then sometimes you do a show, I call them a ninja show where you have no voice. And I have to literally take an additional amount of time between lines to get the right breath in. So I wouldn't be talking and just naturally getting to the next thing. I'd get to say say something, and then and make sure that there was time and it would drop properly, and then go into the next bit. You know what I mean? I do. So to people, they would just see that as a normal sort of cadence, a normal rhythm. rhythm. So that's how he's choosing to perform these lines. But for me, it was just pure survival. Survival, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: So how I'm stressful? How stressful was that? Because in in these productions you are rehearsed into a very specific role, into very specific cadence with the cast, et yeah, cetera. So when yeah. you do need to take that time, um, are you given permission to do it?
1: Yeah, you wouldn't notice it. Right. You, anyone, the production, they wouldn't notice it. It never took anything out of the rhythm of the actual scenes or anything like that. It was more just split-second kind of stuff. And I could only really do it when later on when I knew the show when I could put the show on autopilot a little bit. As in, what's number one here in terms of getting this show out? Well, number one is that I can sing the goddamn thing tonight. So if I'm going to sing it, I'm going to have to do a little bit of autopilot here and get to the beats, get to my, say, the scenes, you know, that follow the rhythm of what normally happens, but take my time with the breath and push it that way.
0: So you mentioned... Autopilot before Mm. in Jersey Boys. Mm. When did, at what number performance did Autopilot kick in? And how do you keep it interesting after the 500th performance of the same show six nights a week?
1: Well, as I said, like Autopilot was only a tool that I would allow for when I needed to focus on myself vocally. If I didn't have a good tool or skill set ready to go. It wasn't something that I was like, what time is it? It's the five? Yeah, come on, we'll do a show. <laughs> Flick the cigarette away and go... <clears throat> hey, Sherry baby! Ow, Sherry! Come on, Sherry baby! Like, there's just... It, it just wasn't that. The show was so amazing. Jersey Boys was so good. Yeah, it the was. The script was so goddamn good that... I had the yeah, highest exactly. respect for that show.
0: Yeah. As the four-time World Irish Dance Champion, mm. you've toured with Riverdance, which was made globally famous by Michael Flatley. What was it like touring with Riverdance? Oh,
1: I was a child. I was 15. I mean, talk about jumping in the deep end. Like, mm. it was that thing.
0: It's incredible. Did you meet Michael Flatley?
1: No, no, I never met Michael, no. He was busy. A lot on. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's a full eye count, is what he had. <laughs> oh, no, at that point it was a pa- Palm Pilot, maybe? It was a palm-, His palm Pilot. was.
0: What is Palm Pilot? He's Blackberry. He's,
1: but, but no, 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 it wouldn't be Blackberry.
0: Well, you've starred in an extensive collection of stage and screen mm. productions, including Hot Shoe Shuffle, yeah. Saturday Night Fever, and On Our Telly in Upper Middle Bogan, which I love. I love that series. Mm. But it's your other choices that that have interested me and I've been front row for the majority of them, Bob, mm. in particular yeah. painted from memory yeah, with our darling friend, Michael Falzon. Falsy. What was it about the Bacharach and Costello album that spoke to you so deeply?
1: Well, it was Falzon. I mean, we were doing a, a workshop for a new musical called Atomic here in mm-hmm. Sydney.
0: Saw and, that one too.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, he just approached me about it. It's one of his sort of seminal albums. Yeah. It was one of his, like, just one of those top fibers for him. And, I mean, I love Burt Bacharach. Yeah. I did, uh, I was in Dusty, the musical Dusty. And um, uh, I jumped to a side note on that in a sec. But um, I was in that, and that sort of t- was my initial sort of break into Bacharach for, like, really listening to Bacharach, sort of finding music for the audition, and then just sort of delving into it a bit more, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, like, and and hearing a lot of his writing, and then hearing his writing kind of everywhere, and just loving how um, he married melody with how the melody told the same story that the the, the lyrics did, and um, when Valzón asked me to do that, uh, I was like. Yeah, I didn't really know any Elvis Costello stuff. Right. So for me, it was like, I think as performers, we have the opportunity to discover new stuff because we have to prepare it to tell the story. So you end up having to jump into the mind of the writer and the time and what happened. Um, uh, Tears at the Birthday Party was an amazing mm-hmm. song that that I sang. And uh, yeah, I it, it, was, it, it was just... I learned to love the album because of us performing it. I didn't really know it before, but when he asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, of course, I'd love to send me the material. And then he sends me the album. I'm like, cool. Which ones do you want me to do? So I'm like, (laughs) then I'm really listening to it. I'm really jumping into it. And then you get to know the rest of it. And you know, uh, I, yeah, I loved it. I I loved performing it. Um, And it was a new, it was another challenge. You know. Laura
0: Bunting on the piano mm. and Isaac Haywood, yeah, musical director, yeah. Jane Cho.
1: Yeah, Jane. It
0: was um it was a really beautiful it was quintessentially on.
1: Yeah. that concert. No, it really was, and he really smashed it out of the park. It was really it was really demure and detailed and it had so much nuance. To It it was um, really,
0: like as an, as an audience, seeing it at Angel mm. Place, it felt deeply personal, but very calming, almost meditative, that concert. You kind, know? I think
1: it was kind of cathartic for it. Very, him. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and it was Jonathan Biggins was, am I saying that right? That's right? Yes. Jonathan Biggins, he was, he directed? Yes. I mean, not that, I mean, even, I think even for himself, that was a real get for foul <laughs> Song because I think for, uh, Biggins just put his hand up, he was like, they were talking in a foyer and he went, hey, I love, that's my favorite album. Um, if you need someone to direct it up, I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you. And like it was, Falzon was literally like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, kay. Mr. Biggins. And so I didn't really even have much to do with it. I remember one time just in doing a, um, doing a, the check, singing the song, one of the songs in sound soundcheck, it might've even been Tears at the Birthday Party. And and I sort of was like just building, just sort of playing with the build in it, like how it sort of started and how what the story was. And did I want to do character or no character, probably no character, just sing the song, but being in the middle of it. And he sort of, at the end of it, went, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, the height of direction. That or sounds reverse. like
0: Jonathan. You know what I mean? For our listeners out there, Jonathan Biggers is uh Australian, Acting royalty. Yeah. His, his, comedian. Yeah. Oh, comedian extraordinary. The Wharf Review. The right? Wharf Review. Yeah. Keating. Mm. He's, yes. He's one, one of the finest. And also, that is, again, quintessentially biggins. You just go, hmm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Speaking of music that inspired you and has built you, there have been many a party where we've found ourselves in the corner or found Bobby Fox in a corner with his little portable speaker playing the party some some tunes and like listen to this one. Listen, let me introduce you to this song. Yeah, Yeah, you do that all the time. I love that about you. Um, we're gonna talk about some songs that you that you pitched today for this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. My Um, little choices. Yes, your choices. They're very varied. I love them. There's a lot going on here. Number one, Into You by Ariana Grande. Ariana
1: Grande. Yeah, I am not an Ariana Grande fan. It's not that, well, I can't say that I'm not a fan. I can't say that I'm a fan. I don't have an opinion on her really, other than she's very beautiful and and a humongous talent. But I haven't really listened to her music. But somehow I stumbled upon this song, Into You, written by Max Martin.
0: And it's, I'm so into,
1: into you, into you, into you, into yep. you. yeah. A little, don't Absolutely magnificent, and I've had that song on repeat.
0: I listened to it this morning researching for this interview i was walking along william street i had it going and like it was 9 a.m and i looked like i was coming out of a club because i was was so i was so into it it's oh total banger yeah just classic i get that same feel from uh flight facilities from their work and flume
1: oh yeah it's that
0: same it's just sexy Mm.
1: yeah Mm. hot incredible production
0: Moving on to Jamie Callum and one of the most precious, beautiful little gifts of a song that mm. is that's recorded on what sounds like this tiny little honky tonk piano yeah. with well, it is, uh, with oh and so, this so, was so recorded. raw. So the
1: story with it is that it's so it's the song is
0: I think I love I think
1: I love and so the, the way that it goes is that it was just a song idea that he had and it's on his upright at home and it's just it's the voice memo. Mm. So what you're listening to is the voice memo that he recorded, recorded on his iPhone, on his, on his phone, oh. and then they just produced it, like like developed that sound and then added strings to it. Stunning. Um, and the reason why I chose that is that I just I I don't spend any ta- time songwriting. I do a little bit, but not actually committed songwriting where you need to do it kind of daily to practice and to get it wrong and to iron out and fail, and then out of the failure comes little. Bluff. Nuggets of gold. Bluff nuggets. Yeah.
0: Well, in 2019, you, you premiered The Irish Boy. Mm. Your one-man show, your cabaret concert around Australia, uh, Adelaide Cabaret Festival, Sydney Opera House, Wyong.
1: Wyong. Uh,
0: to no surprise, rave reviews views again, including being a natural and prolific storyteller. Hey. What was it about your stories that you wanted audiences to take away from the show?
1: I just wanted people to get to know me better, but through the people that formed me. So I'd never really told my stories. I told stories about my mam or my family or, you know, getting to Riverdance or whatever that might be. Well, my time, my, it's basically half my life. I've had half, I've had half my life in Ireland and half my life in Australia. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to not talk about myself. hmm but for people to leave knowing me more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you that, did that, that beautifully. That was it. And then, well, I mean, it's difficult because, I mean, you're in, in Australia and you're singing Irish music. You're singing Irish music to people. So every song is new. Yeah. every Apart from Danny Boy. Mm. But, like, every single one's new. And I knew it was going to be that. I knew it was going to be that. You're, it's going to be a listening show. People are going to listen. And so we really focused on the arrangements and the and the warmth in the sound, and with Glenn Morehouse, my musical director, and, and just having that, and your musical director in, in a lot of things. Mm. Is that right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, um, And just that, that, the timbre to, to, the, to the sound, and making it, they're all kind of individual, but they all sort of fit together. So, because, I mean, a lot of the time audiences don't necessarily want to be educated, you know, they want to be entertained, so there had to be, you know, those elements in there, or whatever, It's a difficult thing to do, but it was highly, highly personal. Very, very personal.
0: It was very personal, but also the perfect melting pot for you to show off literally every one of your strengths as an artist. Dancing, storytelling, singing, playing—it yeah. was—it was really beautiful. Do you have any plans to remount that show? again? I would
1: love to do it again. But actually, what I'd really like to do is start a band. Yes, yeah. have a band. Yes, to th- have the boys and add some more songs to it. Do all of that music, but it'd be a band rather than because I can't be arsed dancing. <laughs> I do a oh, lot.
0: Give him, give him another I Guinness. Do so it'll a be a lot. There. Yeah, I do a do. lot.
1: So, I, I, like, I was there, oh, I'm going to do this and this and do, play that and It this. was and a heavy and, show. And then I finish it and I'm like, or oh, it's not so much finish it. It's when you're, when you pack all your cases and you're on your way to the airport and you're holding a guitar case, a power on case, an accordion case, your shoes, your props. And you're like, why did I do yeah, this? Yeah, right. Why? I can't be bothered. I get it, man. I, I get it. Yeah. I so get it. Why did, I, why did I decide to do all of these things in this show?
0: <laughs> well, you recently went back to Ireland. Yeah. and to visit the family mm. after a fair three while, years. Three, 3 years. years. Yeah. Um, Red is the Rose is the last song that you popped on your list for today and that was performed at your sister's wedding mm. by the Fox family. Yeah,
1: by the four of us. So it wasn't so I was home for 2 months, mm. which I have never been home for 2 months since I left Ireland and it was so good. I mean, it was boring, is what it was. Perfect, Perfect perfectly yeah. boring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was heaven. It was quiet, very, very slow. It's a slower pace. I miss it dearly. I want to be closer to it. Um, but uh, that recording is just on my SoundCloud like thing, and that's not from the la- that's not from this wedding just gone. It was from a previous one. And the the name Rose is very sort of it. It's it sort of. Threads its way through our family. My grand, my, my grandmother's name on my mom's side, on my dad's side was Rose, Rosie. Uh, my sister's name is Roseanne. My little niece's name is uh, Nina Rose. Um, so Rose, um, and on my dad's side, there's Roisin. and uh, my I think um, my mom's sister died recently, oh, about a year ago. And she built a little thing coming off the back of the garage, a little area that she could go and sit and have coffee in the morning. And she called it the Nelly Rose Cafe because oh, it was Nell. Nelly was her name, um, and yeah. So the name Rose is always in there. So that song is "Red as the Rose," which is a beautiful Irish song. And that version of it—that's—I mean, you can hear it. It is literally a phone recording from the chapel. Oh, it was um, stunning from our close chapel. We've never sang together. We never sang grow- growing up. We never sang. This is the thing. My family, we all played music and I danced. We never, ever sang. And so when it came to doing that, Lisa was getting married. So it was myself, Laura, Roseanne and Lynn. Those are my other three sisters. So I walk up and I start it. Then I, and as I'm singing, the next person walks up and they join me at a harmony. And as we're both singing, the next person walks up, joins us for a third. And then the last person goes up. And then all of a sudden you got a four-part harmony. Now, I'm not saying the reason why it's so amazing is that because we didn't rehearse it. We didn't do like a big, all right, here's your part. All right, let's do a thing. Musical director, can we run through the first from bar 16 again, please? Like, there was none of that. It was like, here's where I am. And then sing. Okay, that's where you're going? Grand. You go up and then Roseanne, you come in, you go down. And then when Laura comes in, Roseanne, I'll go where you are. And then you go somewhere else, and Laura will go in there. And she's like, "Yeah, okay, Grant." And it was— owned, that's all that it was. We just sang it twice, maybe, and then we just kind of did it. And it's—it's it's beautiful. It's so natural. All of so our voices—it's it so organic, mm. and all our voices just match. I mean, it's that thing—it's that family thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. My body, Step yeah. aside
0: Step off Partridge family The Fox family are here now Yeah We need to hear more of that That was really beautiful It'll
1: never happen oh. Ever I'll tell you why Because no one can be arsed
0: <laughs> No one wants to dance
1: They don't care They don't care Oh <laughs> don't god care. it's my so mam, good though. My mom shared
0: Come on we'll get Betty on the banjo We'll do a whole You but know this, See
1: all of this yeah. This all sounds like That's a great idea yeah. Until you go Hey let's do this thing And everyone will go No <laughs> No, Bob, Bob, tell her, tell her, <laughs> tell her thanks, but no. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, that, so my, that review from uh, John Chant, that one, you know, the great review. Oh, the,
0: the big headline from the Sydney Opera House, take yeah, a shot. Yeah, 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 that yeah there one. it is. That's yeah, the one from yeah. the
1: Sydney Opera House. Um, the Opera, that one, ma'am, put that in our WhatsApp group. <laughs> oh, look, great review for Bob. One of my sisters wrote, nice one, Bob.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's it. Keep it real. Keep him
1: nice and uh, up. Keep
0: him on the level.
1: That's it. Yeah. But then like like our like our little niece or our nephews or whatever will like draw a picture. And to be honest, um Louie, who's who he just loves drawing, he's pretty good. But then one picture goes up on the on the WhatsApp thread and it's like, oh my God, ding 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 of ding, course. ding ding. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I'll send that to John Shan. He can review the, the dinosaur that he's done for that 900th time. God.
0: Well done, Louis. Keep Good going. Come on, Louis. Fair play. yeah. All right. Tell us about your experience recording the single You're the Boss from your debut album, The Fantastic Mr. Fox, mm-hmm. with supermodel Miranda Kerr. Yeah. What was that like?
1: It's cool. Uh, so I had been signed to Warner yeah. to do an album after Jersey Boys. Um, and then we had a list of songs that we were going to do. And then we wanted to do that one. And I just thought it was a hot song. Like it was really cool. Elvis and Anne Margaret. Super hot. Super hot. Super, super hot. They weren't, it wasn't even them originally, but their version was just so sexy. Mm. I mean, they have that, that rich history, the two of them, you know, the affairs and like their chemistry on screen. Like mm. unbelievable. Yummy. Unbelievable. Love Anne it. Margaret. Wow. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. yeah. Um, you know, I was obviously. A young Irish lad. I would not necessarily used to thinking that big. Sure, you know what I mean. Who yeah. we get? I'm yeah. like, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then they said, "Oh, we're gonna. We'd like to approach Miranda Kerr." Um, and I looked up some stuff on YouTube. She had a couple of things. Miranda Kerr had a few things on YouTube um, from the Victoria's Secret campaigns, a Christmas, a Christmas campaign or something like a little video. And I was like. Oh, well, if that's her voice, then she can do it. Absolutely. So they approached her and she was like, uh, she just sort of said, oh, yeah, maybe. Let's meet. Let's meet and see. So we met and we got on. And then she said, look, my months now are completely booked up, but I have tomorrow free. I'm in New Zealand. I'm in Auckland tomorrow. And I have had the day off. We can do it then. So then the label just went, Cool, we'll do it, we'll do it tomorrow
0: Oh my god
1: So we went to uh, Auckland, flew the next day I was in Sydney at the time, and I was living in Melbourne so, But I was in Sydney, meeting Miranda And then they were like, cool, you've got to go And then it was 8 o'clock at night, and I was, with, I was staying with my manager And then I just went, and my flight was booked to leave from Sydney the next morning And I went, I don't have my passport
0: Oh, I don't know my passport. shit, because you're going to New Zealand. Because I going to
1: New Zealand. And then I just went, oh. So they had put me on the last flight leaving Melbourne, leaving Sydney to go to Melbourne, mm-hmm. and then flew from Melbourne to Sydney the next day and then Sydney to Auckland. And then uh, they brought out like a producer with them and had just like a, a mini setup, something similar to what we have here. We created a little sort of sand booth for, out of her closet mm-hmm. uh, in the hotel room. And. Uh, like hung up all of the the robes and everything. Had yeah. put in a mic in there. Had a condenser mic in there. And then we just did it. Like we sort of sang it together. I had already recorded my part. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, which I recorded when I had done most of the album. And then I got laryngitis. Uh, leaving Ireland, uh, coming back, and I had a few more songs to do. And my voice was really low, mm-hmm. <laughs> low and kind of, and it's not like a sing or anything. It was all quite low and sort of storytelling. So it gave a yeah. nice texture. Yeah. So I did that. I did uh, basically a guide track, uh, like a one take guide track. And we just used that. Uh, like, because it was just worked. It like totally worked. worked. Yeah. And I was totally relaxed. Yes. So I wasn't trying to perform. Yes. So it just sort of came out. Yeah. Is that similar thing to the relaxation thing I was talking about? Yeah. Um, and then we just spent a few hours in her room uh, just doing it. Just doing it. Um, getting it out. And Classic, she was an, exper- an experienced singer. So it took her about an hour or so to just kind of like, just come out of her shell a bit. Yeah, sit into it. Yeah. Mm. Like, just to kind of be confident to sing it out and then by the end we kind of spent probably the first two hours on the first half of the song and then probably a half an hour on the second half of it because she was just confident and rolling it out she's like oh it's this oh okay is this is fun i can have fun like this oh
0: that's so nice i love that she took that leap and was just like yeah fuck it let's do it Let's go. And it sounded incredible.
1: Oh, it sounds so good. Yeah, it sounded really good. It's a a great album,
0: Bob. Yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic album. I
1: really love the album. I loved making it. I loved who I worked with. Lance Ferguson was the producer Mm -hmm. from the Bamboos, the Australian Bamboos. Let's go. I loved working with him so much. And uh, Jake Mason, who was the engineer on it. It's
0: such a fun process recording, isn't it? I really like I I really enjoy it.
1: It was really fast because Lance works at lightning speed. He has all of his guys that he's recorded yeah. so many albums with the Bamboos yeah. that they've all done on budget. You know what I mean? Like they've been they've Unheard been of. they've been slinging those <laughs> things for years. So when it comes to the beds, putting down those beds like they just like putting it on that rhythm section. They did the whole thing in a couple of days. Wow! Because those guys just know what they're doing. Yeah. You
0: know? Is there another album on its way?
1: No, I wouldn't say so. No, I don't. I, no. Maybe
0: after the artist way at the beginning Maybe of the, the year. Yeah,
1: I'd made. I'd like to sort of pursue a writing my own stuff and mm-hmm. seeing what comes of that. Mm-hmm. I suppose if a label wanted to come to me and go, hey, like. We see where you're at. We'd like to actually go ahead and, and and do another album or do something along this line or whatever. And they wanted to go along with that. Then I'd be like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's collab. Let's yeah. do that.
0: Well, we can look forward to it when it arrives. Bobby, I've got two more questions for you. Hit me. Give us your war story.
1: Oh, the war story. The war story. Well, the big one is, like, I mean, I was doing Assassins at the Opera House. There it is again. <gasps> the
0: Opera House shot.
1: Quick, have a God. shot. I was doing Been assassins drunk. at the opera house. We had already done it at the Hayes. And on opening night of the Sydney season at the opera house, I broke my right foot.
0: Oh my God. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Broke the foot and ah. then had to like finish the number, not as a lion. I just finished my number. And then I thought, oh, I've, I've just rolled it. Am I okay? Am I, am I okay? Sort of commando like army crawled my way to the side of the stage. Cause ah. there was no entrances or exits um and i was lying behind like an exclamation point basically how apt um, ironic yeah, yeah uh, and and i was like am i okay am i okay and then the pain came like the pain came cuz i knew i rolled it and i heard something pop and then uh um, then i was in then like i was in in excruciating pain like it was fucking full on oh, like it oh. was fucking full on um stop the show uh you know um Pull me off the side of the stage and I'm sort of wincing around the place and I couldn't get it together. And I'm shouting at the stage manager to call someone and, and like, everyone's just sort of looking at me and I'm like, fuck, I do something or something yeah. like that. I kind of can't really remember it. Um, Not surprised. And then that sort of, um, that was it. That would, that's, uh, that sort of led to, it was broken. I broke the outside oh. of my right foot. That sort of put me out for about six months. Um, and that was a really rough, that would, I mean, I went through the wars with that, um, that, that thing, the breaking of the foot, it happens. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite a common thing that happens Mm -hmm. like that thing. But what that ended up doing was that ended up revealing cracks in my mental, uh, health and, and and psyche, like in my sort of core Mm -hmm. that really revealed, uh, that started me off on a journey of sort of self-discovery, like really rock bottom, like the classic sort of thing. And, you know, like abusing food and alcohol and, um, Abuse, just abusing myself, yeah. you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And not really knowing that that's what was happening. Right. And then going through depression, never really knew what that was before, but then really being in it and sort of recognizing it and going, oh, wait, I've felt this before. I actually have had this for mm-hmm. uh, uh, before. And then going through, for my first time, going through therapy and, and actually having a therapist and a psychologist and going, right. And then having to deal with kind of like some, uh, like, eating disorder stuff and like, uh, mental health stuff and personal sort of love growth stuff. So that was kind of one of those things that needed to happen to allow me to be like, to sort of see that there was something wrong, yeah, and I didn't know that there was something wrong, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a very good self-dialogue, is what it really was. Okay. Or didn't not not that it, what's what it really was, but I didn't have a good self-dialogue, and the words that I would say to myself were very abusive and and very harmful and those sort of things. And so I came to that that realization that oh, I'm not in a good
0: Close. way. I'm not yeah.
1: actually a strong person here. I'm not. I'm actually quite broken. And some and but I had. Always sort of gone, you're lazy and you're this and you're that, and you know, sort of call, calling myself names. The and shit stuff.
0: talk we give we yeah. say to ourselves.
1: Yeah. And, and then realizing, and then over time, realizing how that was affecting my relationships with friends, family, partners. Um, because if that's your own self dialogue, then that's how you think that you talk to people mm-hmm. or that it's, that's what normality is in your mind. And then you say things to other people and stuff, and then looking back on it, like actually looking back on, like over the years, I go, oh, I can see where, why that thing happened or why whatever. So that to me, like if I'm saying the wars, like it's a, it's sort of allowed me to, um, uh, be aware that there was, there was chinks in the armor and there was, you know what I mean, that there was stuff that needed to be addressed and, and to discover self friendship. And self-love and self, you know, acceptance, things like that. And that's been amazing. That's been really, really good. That was the second year of COVID for me, do you know, just really good. Sort of actually sort of stepping back and going, oh, wow. And then going into do you hear the people sing? Like, like to not to put a, but, a nice little uh, ribbon on this whole thing, but like being completely present, present. So present, changing my relationship with food, changing my relationship with alcohol completely, and then actually recognizing like how much how how magic life can be, you know, just because the wind blows in the right direction or something, you know what I mean? The colors of life become more vibrant, and it's it's quite quite something special. And I wouldn't have felt that before.
0: Oh, Bob, I'm so thank you so much for sharing that with us.
1: Oh, no, really, not at all. It makes me emotional thinking about it, but it's just it's it's a happy it's a happy emotion to to go wow, that person, you know, that he's a good lad. He was a good lad, but he just was going through some stuff that he didn't know. And so many people are like that. You know, so many people are like that. They just don't know that that's what's going on. And they use food and alcohol and and drugs and whatever to to just feel something
0: <laughs> Yeah Well <laughs> to, to, to feel nothing
1: Feel nothing To feel numb, something To feel comfort To, to hide away to, mm-hmm. to, to, to escape To whatever it might be They do that Rob Mills today Just released a book His book I'm uh, putting on a show c- Kind of deals with a lot of that And talks a lot about Men's mental health And things like that And I can't wait to read it Oh me too He's such a champion He a, is What he a is. legend um, yeah.
0: He's been a huge advocate For mental health mm-hmm. Especially over the last Couple of years And I do think mm-hmm. that Globally, all of us experiencing COVID has stripped away that stigma around mental health. I think mm. that there is far more room to talk about it um, unashamedly and authentically. Mm. And what you have just told us is proof of that. What Rob Mills is writing in his book, I know for a fact, is proof of that. Mm-hmm. I went through something very similar in the last couple of years, mm. um, and I believe that the more we talk about it, the more we share, the more truth we tell, it just enables others to maybe recognise those those bits in themselves, like you were saying, that um, will allow them to self reflect and go, oh, gee, okay. I might not be aware that there's anything going on, Mm. but something is going to happen to you that will hopefully be the turning point in your life, the catalyst for change, Yeah, and you're open enough to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was long enough to do that because uh, with COVID, it was the first time we all had the same problem. And so you have that instant understanding. Everyone has the exact – I mean, we all dealt – dealt with it differently, differently yeah. but um initially there was kind of a novelty to it initially where you're like "Woo, oh lockdown yeah, what's oh, gonna happen? Oh. how long
0: am i going to be a couple yeah, of weeks Yeah, a couple of weeks
1: you'll couple be fine you yeah, know yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it was kind of like everyone's like partying at home and they're just like "Woo!" and then it becomes an entire year and then you go into the next year and you're like oh, that's what happened i was started into the second year of covid and i woke up hungover one morning and I just, I was like in early Feb or something, I woke up hungover and I was just like, this is going to be the same fucking year yep. as it it's was last year. Last year. Mm. And I stopped drinking. I just went and I'm done. I'm stopping. I said that initially I was like three months, which became six months, which became a year. Um, and, and it was the best thing ever.
0: Well, I am two months in. Oh, good woman you're hey. High five. Can we talk about how incredible it is? I just feel like the the universe has been waiting for me to stop. (laughs) And as soon as I did, it went, finally, you've caught up. Now here's everything you've ever wanted. Yeah. The clarity, the good sleep the deeper connections, the better conversations, Mm. not waking up going, how much money did I spend last night? Who was I last night? Which character came out? What did I say? And then all of those, all of the extra things that go with that. It's, I I feel like-
1: You're very, absolutely way more present. So this is your first time doing two months, is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, wait till you get to like six months and then nine months. Right. It's fucking heaven. Yeah. (sighs) I'm not kidding. It's heaven. W-
0: what about it is heaven?
1: Just, the, just how much you get fucking done.
0: Yes, productivity.
1: You wake up in the morning tired based on what you did the day before. Maybe if you were working out or I, you know, I'm practicing a lot at the moment for whatever. But it is get up and you're like, oh, okay, it's a new day. Yeah. You wake up with a brand new day. You don't wake up with, an, with, what you, with the remnants of yesterday, you know, physically. I am toying with giving it up for forever. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. I don't know if I want to, mm. but also I'm like Who cares. Yeah. I like I've done, I've done it. Yeah. I did it. You have. Did it all. Yeah. Got smashed all the time. loads of great nights. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Loads of opening nights and then loads of things and Alcohol now has a huge effect on my mental health.
0: Absolutely. I get
1: very depressed. Yeah,
0: anxious, the anxiety. Yeah, some people has
1: anxiety, but like it's like really low. Yeah. Like low, like it'll be. It is a depression. It won't be after one night. Yeah, no, and it's that. Yeah. It's not after, let's say, one night of drinking. Like if I was consistently drinking over a week, if there was like, and not a lot, but like most nights there'll be a couple of glasses of wine, a few beers, whatever it would be. And then I'll know that there'll be a downswing. I'll wake up one day and just be like, I'm walking through mud yeah. here. Like, yeah. I can't find positive things.
0: I'm so glad you're feeling it all.
1: Mm. I'm mm. so glad. Truly, yeah. Last I'm question.
0: What is next for you? What's coming up?
1: I'm doing Singing in the Rain <gasps> uh, in Brisbane at uh, the at QPAC. Uh, four shows only, directed and choreographed by Cameron Mitchell. Oh. Amazing. Uh, that old
0: thing. Talk about Isn't she Talk fabulous?
1: about stressed. <laughs> it's a week rehearsal. Did you re- hear that, Cameron? It's a week rehearsal for four shows. What? And I'm Don Lockwood. Don Lockwood. Oh. Um that's I've exciting. already started rehearsals for it, so that's next. And then there's another big thing coming up that I can't talk about. But also, myself and Rob Mills. Speaking of Mills, Yes. Uh, we are putting on our first Christmas concert. Rob and Bob. The Kings of Christmas. Oh my god,
0: that's going to be yeah. fabulous! We're doing it in
1: Geelong on the eighteenth of December at three p.m. at Costa Hall, um, and we can't wait because we've done carols by candlelight yeah. now for the last three years, yeah, and that's gone really well. Yeah, we have a hoot, an and absolute
0: hoot, a treat.
1: It, yeah, we have a tr- we have a hoot. It's a treat. <laughs> and in fact, tickets sweet. The lady who books it, uh, Katie, she called me after she called me to book me for this year. After the performance last year, as in <laughs> when we were still in the building, she's like, "That was awesome." Next year, what are we doing for next year? Oh, bless yeah, her! How great, isn't you that know? fabulous? And just me and Rob, we just have such a good time together, and we really admire each other and have a lot of respect for each other. Yeah, you can uh, for feel, what feel we, that love. What we bring to the what we bring to the party, and Rob's such an amazing creative. He's so highly creative. I have to rein him in. I'm the guy. I'm very logic mm-hmm. based with mm-hmm. my creativity. And he's like, knows no bounds. Wow. He's like very, we'll do this. I'm like, we won't. <laughs> we absolutely won't. And it kind of becomes that thing of like, it only goes in if both of us go, yes. yes. Yeah. It only, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. He, he's awesome. So I can't, we, we're writing it and putting it together at the moment. But yes, the Kings of Christmas, uh, Costa Hall, December 18th, 3 p.m. Geelong, Robin Bob.
0: Get Geelong to the show.
1: Get Geelong.
0: <laughs> well, Bobby Fox, thank you so much for speaking with me today.
1: It's been an absolute an pleasure. an
0: absolute treat. A divine privilege. It's so great a to see you. Privilege. Oh, yeah. Congratulations on everything. Thanks, bud. And bobbyfox.com for everything Bobby Fox. Oh, well, no, go on Instagram. my Instagram. All Just
1: right. go there, at thedancingfox. You can go to bobbyfox.com if you like but there's nothing really up there. I think the Irish boy stuff is still up there, but don't don't go there. Oh,
0: but the pictures are so grand. Oh yeah, you can
1: look at that, we'll but there's loads em. of pictures on the, on the Instagram there. So Your album's on there too. The Dancing Fox. Oh, oh dancing. thank you. Yes, 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 your album
0: is on there too, The Fantastic Mr Fox. It's available anywhere you get great music. Hey-oh. There you go. Bobby Fox, thank you. We love you. Speak to you soon. Love you
1: too. Thanks for having me.
0: And there he is, folks, the fantastic Mr. Bobby Fox. Bob, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the cafeteria for your warmth, your humour, your stories, your insight, your generosity and honesty. It was such a wonderful chat and so great to see you, my friend, and spend some time with you. To find out what Bobby's up to and what he's doing, please follow him over on Instagram at The Dancing Fox. And if you're enjoying The Cafeteria, please help me spread the word, share it on social media, go onto iTunes and give us a rating, tell your friends. It's another week down, my friends. Thank you for being with us and I look forward to seeing you next time on The Cafeteria. Have a great week.